it's her, I don't know, it's her mantra. Every time we get into a car, she gives me this word of encouragement. You're the only person on the road that knows how to drive. She says that to me all the time. Now, I know that when she's saying that, she's being sarcastic. But what she doesn't understand is that she's speaking forth a prophecy from the Lord. <laughs> because I know it's true. I am the only person in this world that knows how to drive. And everybody else, not you guys, are idiots. I mean, that's just the way it works. It's just... I, I am right, everybody else is wrong, and that's kind of the way it is, you know. Uh, we do that in life. We live in this world, and we, we look around at all the stuff going on in this world, and we love to say that everybody else is nuts, and we're the only ones with the truth, you know. We have this idea that we alone have the corner on, on truth. Last week, I wasn't here because we went up to a family funeral up north, the, the, my family, the De Leon family, is a very loving, very well-connected, very close, very tight-knit family. We love each other. We're, we're good friends. We grew up together. I mean, we were just, well, the cousins are just, we're tight. But we have drastically different views of faith and politics. They look at us as, as the, 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 the right-wing, outdated Christian fanatics. And... They're pot-smoking hippies, you know. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. But we love each other. We just have this drastically different view of, of life and of faith and everything else. But the thing is, both of us think we're right. Both of us look at the other as if you're just misguided, you know. I mean, they literally used the words fairy tale when they're talking about our faith last week. Um, and, 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 and share it. It was very clear that... Ah, they, they don't believe what we believe. And they see what we believe as being nonsense. And they are earnest in their belief. But see, that's what we do. In life, we look at life and we think that we alone have the corner on intelligence. Or we alone have the corner on truth. It's our wisdom is, is the right wisdom. But what we're going to both find out, my side included, is that when we get to heaven, we really knew nothing that we didn't have the full truth. We, we have an idea because we study this Word of God and we, we get into the truth and we, we want to know what God wants us to know. So we search the Scriptures and there's truth in there and we, and we hold fast to that truth. But guys, when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that none of the truth that we understood was really remotely close to the, to the full majesty and the truth of God. Because God is so much bigger and so much greater and so much more than we can ever imagine and that we'll ever know. And whether we believe or not believe, uh, my, my family, God bless them, I love them to death, but, but some of them just do not believe in God. And we're all going to get the truth when we stand before God. And we're all going to be blown away because of what we denied or, or because of what we didn't know about what we knew. Well, as we come to this book of James... We're going through the book of James. We come to chapter 3 at about verse 13 through the, through the rest of chapter 3. James, he takes the conversation towards wisdom. See, he's teaching us how to live godly and holy lives throughout the book. And, and if, we, if, we, if we follow his instructions, he's building in these Christians. Remember who they are. They were Jewish converts who had been scattered because of intense persecution of the church. James is probably the earliest book written 
in the New Testament. The very first book probably written in the New Testament, the letter that got circulated. And he, so he's dealing with Christian Jews who have been scattered and, are, and literally had to flee for their life. But then... As they flee, they begin to abandon things of the faith. So he begins to try to correct them, to, to build the holiness back into their life. And now he gets to this, this section on wisdom. And he's going to tell them, guys, if you really want to have wisdom in your life, if you really want to know what God wants from you, you've got to begin to follow after his will. You've got to follow after his way because that's where true wisdom is. Wisdom isn't in what I know. Wisdom isn't what my family knows. Wisdom is in the word of God. And James is going to direct us back to that Word of God and, and tell us that's where true wisdom comes from. That's where you're going to find your answers. Let's, uh, before we get into James, let's go to Proverbs um, chapter 9. Because I'm going to show you what Proverbs has to say about wisdom. Proverbs chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 6. It says, Wisdom has built her house, and she has hewn <coughs> her seven pillars. She has mixed her, uh, slaughtered her meat, she has mixed her wine. And she has furnished her table. Now here's this, here's this picture that, that, that um, Proverbs has given us, Solomon's given us here. He's saying wisdom is set in place. He's, he's giving you a picture. He says she's, she's built her house and she's hewn out her seven pillars. Now every time you see that number seven in, in the scriptures, it, there's a reason for it, okay? It's not an accidental number that that number keeps coming up because it's the number of completion, so what James, or what the prophet, psalmist is saying, or the, uh, Solomon is saying, is that this, this house of wisdom that God established on a hill is, is in place, it's set, it's done. Seven pillars means, is, is, gives us the idea that it's a complete house. Okay? And he set up this pillar on the hill. It says she slaughtered her, her meat, and she's mixed her wine, and she's also furnished her table. So what he's saying is, she's all ready for guests. So this, this house of wisdom that God has put down for people to see is all ready for you to come. The meat's on the table, the banquet's ready, it's all set to go. Then he goes on, verse 3. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest place of the city, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. In the old days when they would send out a, a wedding invitation, they didn't send it on, 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 on letters or, 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 you know, like we do, invitations where you mail them out. They didn't put them on Facebook so nobody will get it or see it. Um, um, they, they sent out people. And the, the, the bridesmaids literally went out into the city and made the invites personally to people to come to the wedding. So when he's talking about sending out maidens, he's saying God is sending out his word to people to come to this table of, of, of wisdom, come to the banquet of wisdom. And he's sending out people and he's crying out, if you need wisdom, come here. And get it. Come and receive the wisdom. Okay, let's go. Um, rest of verse 3. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come and eat my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go the way of understanding. Now jump to verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied and, and the years of your life will be added to you if you're wise. And if you... And if you're wise for yourself, and if you scoff, you will bear it alone. So here's the message of King Solomon on wisdom. God's wisdom is available to everyone. It's already established. It's already in place. He sent out his invitation saying, come here and learn. Come here and take in this wisdom for you. It's, it's, it's yours for the taking. It's all set. It's all ready to go. It's all there. Right? And all you got to do is come in and receive. 
And if you reject, he says, you're on your own. If you receive, you're going to gain wisdom, right? So the good news is, for those of us that think we have the corner on wisdom, like me and my driving, I'm the best guy in the world, the good news is there's help for people. You don't have to stay unwise. There's, there's nobody in this world that has to stay in the dark. Because God's wisdom is open to anybody. And he's in fact sending an invitation saying, come on. Come and get this. It's all ready. It's all there. It's already established. Just learn and know. Okay, so that's the premise. James is teaching us that you can gain wisdom. You don't have to remain in the dark. Now let's go to James chapter 3. Let me read verses 13 to 18. Let me read through the whole text right now. It says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, you see the very first thing we, we, we get from James it says there's two sources of wisdom in this world. There's two places that we can draw wisdom. From God, which you call heavenly wisdom, the wisdom from above. And then there's earthly wisdom, which is the wisdom of, of below. There's two sources. And then what James adds to that is, is that you, your behavior will show us where you're drawing your wisdom. If you're drawing your wisdom from above or you're drawing it from the earth your behavior will, will ferret that out. People will know where you're getting your smarts by the way you act. Now, he says, <clears throat> if you're wise, by calling, <laughs> by calling his path to, to, to the wisdom from above wise, okay, uh, in our terms, he's saying, if you're not stupid, you'll take this path. Okay, that's kind of what he's saying. Uh, that's kind of crass and that's kind of the, you know, the modern way to say it, but that's really what he's saying. If you're wise, if you're thinking, if you're smart, he says, let him show it by your good conduct. If you have true wisdom, your actions will show it. Your conduct will show it. Now, word good conduct means excellent way of life. So people are going to see where your wisdom comes from by the way you live your life. And if you're living your life in an excellent way, in other words, in an approved way from, of God, is what he's saying, people are going to get it. Which will be seen in the works that are done. Now look how he words this. In the meekness of wisdom. In other words, people are going to see that you have godly wisdom when you act out the meekness that comes from wisdom. You ever seen somebody that's always defensive? They're always, they always have an argument. They always have a counterpoint. They always want to debate. Those kind of people, um, besides being kind of, kind of annoying because they're always wanting to, you know, what they show us truly 
if you're truly watching, is they're showing us their insecurity. Because they've always got to be right. They've always got to be the smartest, the most knowledgeable. They've always got to have the comeback. There's an insecurity there with having to prove yourself. What James, when James says there's a meekness that comes from wisdom, there's something about wisdom that brings confidence. It brings contentment. Because you don't have to prove it. You don't have to, you don't have to be right. And so there's a meekness that comes out of wisdom that allows you to just relax. And he says there's a meekness that comes from wisdom. And it's, it's, and it's going to be seen in your character. But on the other hand, look what he says. He says if there's, if there's bitter envy, and now that's an interesting word, bitter envy. It, the word, it's, it's one Greek word, it's, it's zelos in the Greek. It's where we get our word zealot. A zealot is a person that's consumed with a cause. Great example, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, before he was Paul. Saul was a man of God, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he, his entire life was built around him being the perfect man of God. And there was one thing that consumed his life when he, was, uh, when he be, got into his adulthood, and that is to conquer and to stop this Christian movement, which was being called at the time the way. Paul's one task, one goal in life was to stop the way. And it consumed him. In fact, it, it, it kind of consumed all the Pharisees at the time. They had stopped worshiping God. They had stopped doing what God has, has called them to do. They had stopped living out the Word of God and being that, that loving person that God has called them to be and showing and living the commandments because they were so consumed with wanting to stop the way that Paul became a zealot against the Christians. And it basically stopped everything else that God would, would, have, would have and could have done in his life until he got converted. Now Paul when he finally gets converted, becomes a zealot for Christ. And it consumed him there. And so what this is talking about is this jealousy that owns you. It's a jealousy that divides. It's a jealousy that never lets you just relax. You're always against whatever it is they're promoting. This, this bitter envy is consuming He's saying. Then he says, it's also self-seeking, which means selfishness. There's a selfishness about it. It's, it's a selfishness of your heart. This wisdom fuels, from earth fuels that stuff which is not healthy inside of us. A jealousy, a selfishness. And he says, and that earthly wisdom, he calls it sensual and demonic. It's not good. Those, that's the other side of the coin. Uh, we're told in Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 43 and 45. Luke writes this. He says, A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasures of his heart brings forth good fruit, and an evil man out of evil treasure in his heart brings forth evil. 
So Luke is basically saying the very same thing that James is saying. That if you have godly wisdom within you, that's going to come out in your behavior. Godly wisdom will show. If you have earthly wisdom and are operating on the basis of earthly wisdom, then that's going to show as well. And your fruit, your life, your actions are going to be that thing which makes the difference. Heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom are going to be two drastically different outcomes. And there's no hiding it. There's no being able to pretend because it's going to come and it's going to show who you really are. Which reveals the next truth about earthly wisdom. Which is that earthly wisdom is completely natural. Notice what he calls it. He says, earthly wisdom is sensual and demonic. Two unusual words. The word sensual means normal, of the flesh, natural. It's, it's, he's saying that's, that's how we're born. We're born with natural desires of the flesh. That's who we are. And then he says it's demonic. When, when we say something's demonic, we're, we're talking about its influence. It's influenced by the flesh. The flesh is not influenced by God. The flesh needs to be conquered for God. The flesh, left of itself, follows the ways of the world. So he's saying this, this earthly wisdom is completely normal for us. It's the way we were born. Guys, if you want to live in earthly wisdom, just follow the ways of the world. That's the easy side. Anybody can do it. Anybody can follow the flesh. It's normal. It's natural. But the Bible says when we follow the ways of God, he calls it taking up a cross and following him, meaning it's going to be a tribulation. It's going to be a, a chore. It's going to be work. See, it's easy to follow the rest of everybody else in the way the world goes. It's not easy to follow after God. That needs to be intentional. And so this earthly wisdom is easy to come by. The Bible calls earthly wisdom as being carnal. It talks about it as being unspiritual. Heavenly wisdom is spiritual wisdom. What's interesting, just like the debate between me and my family up north, We both think we're right. We both believe we have the answer. And, and our opinion is the right opinion, just like me and my driving. Uh, my opinion is, of course, the right opinion. And the other one's foolish. Well, earthly wisdom thinks that godly wisdom is foolishness. And godly wisdom believes that earthly wisdom is foolishness. Here's some examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I heard every explanation in the world besides except God for what happens to somebody when they pass from this life. And over the years, I've heard all sorts of ideas. And there's no 
There's no level ground. When, you're, when you take the Bible out of the equation and the Word of God out of the equation, there's no one answer that, that can satisfy. There's variations of all different kinds of stories and things. And I hear all those stories and I think that's just foolishness. But yet people in this world will hear us quote Scripture and say, that's a book of fairy tales written by men. And they write it off as being false. Because what Paul's telling us in Corinthians is to them, the Word of God is just pure foolishness. It doesn't make sense. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 to 21. Paul says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become the fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written that he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. You see, God looks at the wisdom of the world and says, that's foolishness. So here we are with a standoff. They think we're fools. We think they're fools. Well, let me rephrase. They think we're fools. God thinks they're fools. Who do you think is right? Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Church, God's wisdom is far superior to anything you will ever understand. Even as Christians, we're going to be surprised. I said this already. We're going to be surprised how much we didn't know. Because God's wisdom is so far beyond anything we'll ever know. That's why in Corinthians 13 it says that it'll be a day that we can look in the mirror and be fully know as I'm be fully know, know fully as I'm known. In other words, when we get on the other side of heaven and we're standing before God, we'll have that knowledge to say, wow. So that's what he meant. So that's what he promised. So that's why he did that to those guys. We'll get it. Because our wisdom will be complete. Here it's partial. Paul says we know in part, but then we're going to fully know. That's, that's what James is telling us. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. And yet God is foolish to the wisdom of the world. We can't fully understand. So then the question is, so what do I have to gain from earthly wisdom? Why would I want to follow it? You realize that everybody has an opinion because they are in a stance in life because they believe that stance is going to better them the best. That's kind of a clumsy saying. They believe in what they believe because they think that's the answer and that that's the right course of action. Nobody takes a course of action saying, I think this is a, a sure loss here, but I'm going to follow it anyway. No. People believe what they believe because they think it's right. And they believe that that stand is going to get them to the best place. So why in the world would we follow anything that says that this is going to lead to bitterness and envy and strife and all that kind of stuff? What is in it for us to follow the ways of the world? Well, according to the Word of God, nothing. There's nothing in it for us. In fact, look what he says. He says, but you, if you have bitter envy and intent, which is that intense jealousy that, that breeds content and self-seeking in your life, which is this, this um, self-seeking that he's talking about is this kind of 
wanting to get ahead at the expense of somebody else. He says, if you have that, he says, um, um, confusion and every evil thing are there. So there's nothing good going to come out of following after earthly wisdom but confusion. All this stuff he's describing, this, this, this bitter envy, this self-seekingness, then he adds this caution. He says, and by the way, he says, don't boast against the truth. The people in, in James, that James is writing to have actually taken a stand of boasting in their earthly prowess. They're looking at life and saying, ah, look what I've achieved, look what I've gotten. Remember James is talking about, about people that are lifting up other people because of their, their prejudice. If they were rich, they were giving them seats of honor. If they were poor, they were taking them away and, and ridiculing them. And, and, he's, and all these people that are getting ahead in life because they're, they're kind of lording over other people. He's been, he's been talking about that for the first two chapters. He's saying, don't boast in that stuff. Because that's not good. That's not the way we ought to live. That's not the way we ought to carry ourselves. He says, boast in the truth. Boast in what's good. Don't say that what you're doing is good. And see, here's where the confusion comes in. Sin loves to call evil good and good evil. Sin loves to, to lord itself over the truth and deny what comes against its own view of truth. So the fruit of this earthly wisdom can't be good. And these, these Christians that are boasting in what they're doing as good are, are, are actually complaining against what God says is not good, that which is the truth. You can't get ahead by taking others down. You can't get ahead by, by lording yourself over somebody else and denying somebody else their freedom and their God-given rights. You can't, you can't get ahead in life by, by loving only the lovable. Look what he says about it. He says in verse 13 or 15, This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where evil and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, if you're going to catch anything about what that's saying, catch that last line, confusion and every evil thing are there. In other words, <clears throat> when you let earthly wisdom into your life, you're opening a door to a very slippery slope. Nobody has ever taken their first drink and said, I'm going to let this turn me into an alcohol, alcoholic. Nobody ever starts that casual, offbeat conversation at the office and says, I'm going to let this person ruin my marriage. Guys, sin doesn't start that way. Sin is never ugly. It's ugly when you step back and look at it from the big picture and what it caused, but when it begins, it begins by just a little temptation, by a harmless little step. When you just say, oh, what can it hurt? And that's what leads to the very next and the next, and the next, and the next step. It starts out small and seemingly innocent. But when we open that door to compromising the truth of God, church, we open a door to a slope that doesn't, 
doesn't fall away very, very simply. It falls away hard. It's a very slippery slope. And usually, we wake up when we say, how did I get here? How did I get to this place in life? And if you're really truly honest, it started very simply and very innocently. It was something that seemed harmless. And it just opened the door to compromise. That's what James is talking about. It leads to confusion and every evil thing, he said. All right, well, let's look at the other side. That's the earthly wisdom. Let's look at the heavenly wisdom. Go to James chapter 17. He says, but... Then he says, the wisdom from above. Now, when you see that word but, remember what it means? It means on the other hand. So when you see that word but, it's an opposite example. Almost every time in the Bible you see the word but... It's, it's, okay, what I just talked about, here's the other side, which is what he's saying. Then he says, but the wisdom from above, he's going to tell us something very simple. True wisdom comes from God. Wisdom from above means wisdom from heaven. True wisdom, he's going to tell you, comes from God. And look what the, what the wisest man on earth says to his son, Solomon God gives Solomon an opportunity to pray for anything he wants. King Solomon, David's son. God says, you pray for whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. I can think of a million things I would have prayed. But Solomon said, Lord, I want to be smart. I want wisdom. Not smarts. He wanted wisdom. There's a difference. And so God made him the wisest man that ever existed. Solomon writes the book of Proverbs basically as an instruction manual to his son to leave behind to his, his family words of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 to 6, he's speaking to his son directly. He says, my son, if you receive my words and, my tre- and treasure my commandments within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge, the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come understanding. Solomon says one thing very clearly to his son. He said, son, if you learn nothing else in life, learn to seek your wisdom from God. Go to God to give you his knowledge because in his knowledge is complete understanding. That's where real truth comes from. That's where true knowledge knowledge comes from. Think about something for a second. Where do you go on this earth to find the ultimate example of beauty. Which of those actresses or actors on TV would you say, okay, that's, that's the pinnacle. That's the goal of beauty for all of mankind. You can't. Because they're all different. And the standard of who's popular, who's in, who's out, changes all the time. Okay, where do you go in this world to find the standard of wealth in this world? 
That person you can look to and say, okay, that's the goal. That's how much wealth I need to amass in my life. When we were growing up, what was the word for a rich person? What did we call them? Millionaires, right? Isn't that what we call them? Millionaires. He's a millionaire. You realize that what they're saying today is if you retire with a million dollars in the bank today, you probably will not have enough to live on by the end of your life. Million dollars today means nothing. Where's the standard for wealth? What are they called today? Billionaires. And now they want to know how many hundreds of billions you have. So where's the standard? There is no standard, church. Because it's a line that's wavering everywhere you go. Some guy as rich as the president wants to be as rich as the guy that owns Microsoft. Right? Because there's, it's never enough. There's always a standard that's bigger and better and somebody that has more than you. And so if we're looking to this world for, for a level of wisdom or a level of morality or a level of whatever, we're not going to find a stable playing field. So where do you get it? Well, the Word of God. You get it from the one who's the same today as he was yesterday and forevermore. To an unchanging God, Jesus. His word never changes. This word applies to every facet of life. Every generation of life can fold the wisdom for their generation out of this, this Bible, and it fits perfectly. This is a timeless document. People love to say, well, it's outdated. It's no, it's not. There may be scenes in there. We don't have chariots today. We have cars. But... Driving is still driving, right? It's a principle. You take the outdated principle and you apply them to modern, modern understanding and they still fit. This is the book of precepts. And the precepts don't change. They're the same as they were back when they wrote them. And God wrote this Bible and, and inspired this Bible in the hearts of men to be timeless. This word doesn't change. It's, it's never altered. It's the same, and it always will be the same. That's the standard, which is our basic point of this whole chapter. True wisdom is the ability to apply the word of God to your life. True wisdom comes from taking this word and making it work in your world, in your ways. That's where wisdom comes from. And, and, and that takes us out of the equation. That takes my opinion out of the equation. Because it's not about what I think any longer. When I'm following the Word of God, it's about what God thinks. And my opinion doesn't matter. Because ultimately it's His that I'm going to stand and be held accountable to. And so our wisdom needs to come from the Word of God. And, and look at this description here in James, verse 17. It says, the wisdom that's from above, he says, first of all, is pure. That's a cool word. It means absent of a sinful attitude. Absent of any, any guile in your life. You ever have somebody give you permission to do something because they know you're going to fail? You know, I, I, <laughs> this is horrible. I do it all the time to, 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 to the young pastors that come up under, underneath that I'm training. 
They say, Pastor, I want to buy a giraffe, and we're going to put it in the church, and we're going to have giraffe rides, and that's going to bring a time. I say, go ahead. Yeah, it's going to be great. People are going to love it. And then two months later, they say, that giraffe almost broke the budget. I mean, you know, we shouldn't have never got the giraffe. Yes, you shouldn't have. Now you'll never buy another giraffe, right? You know, yes, Pastor. Okay. We learn from mistakes. So have you ever had somebody say to you, go ahead, and you know, like your mom, you know, Go ahead, say one, say one more word. My mom's was what, Tina? Don't say another peep. What would we say? Peep. <laughs> Myers kids, we're great. But people say it all the time, go ahead. They don't mean it, they don't want you to, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. He says this true wisdom is pure. It has pure motives. It's not telling you something so you'll fail. It's not telling you something so that you'll, so that you'll not get it. It's not telling you something just to, to test your way. Its motives are pure. The Word of God is a pure document, wanting pure, had pure motives for it. It wants you to be the best you can possibly be out of the love of God. So its motives are pure. Then it says, it's then peaceable, which means peace-loving. It wants the best for you. It wants peace in your life. It wants to bring that calmness, that stability to you. It says it's gentle, which is a character of grace as opposed to harshness. It's willing to yield, which is the opposite of stubbornness. When I was going through seminary, I had a professor who was teaching on this passage. And he wanted to demonstrate this willing to yield. So he called me up and in front of the class to give a, a visible demonstration. He says, okay, Glenn, I'm going to push you. I said, okay. You know, and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, you said you're going to push me. Because that's the stance of getting ready to be pushed, right? You're going to defend yourself. You're not going to let them knock you over. Go ahead and push me. He says, why are you doing that? Because you're going to push me. He says, okay. And then he walks over and he pushes me. And I go. And I resist the push and I push back against him. He says, why would you do that? He said, because you push me. Yeah, but why? You push me. But why do you resist when I push you? <laughs> I didn't have an answer. Because you're pushing me. And his point was, why? Why not just go with it? Why resist? He's saying it's, it's natural for us to resist. Why not just push? And he said, okay, this time when I push you, don't resist. So I stood there, and he pushed me, and I, I did one of these. He says, now, did that make you less of a man? No. Why do you resist? Why not just let somebody win? Why not just let somebody have a victory? Why do we always have to win the argument? 
Why do we always have to have our way? When I'm debating with family about politics or, or, or faith or anything, why, why do I have to win? You know what's more important than winning the argument? is winning their soul. Loving them into the kingdom of God. To show them that the people of God don't have guile. That we're first peace loving and honoring. Remember that whole verse, uh, chapter that we, uh, that we talked about where he talked about prejudice in the church and how, how you don't have prejudice, you love people for who they are and, 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 and just because they're rich, you don't give them the seat of honor. Just because they're poor, you don't give them a seat of, of, of humiliation. Remember that? He's saying, why do we, why do we have these kind of things? That, 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 why can't we just love everybody? Why do we have to resist? He says, this, this spirit of God is willing to yield, is willing to let them have their way for a bigger purpose. Before I'm called to win, I'm called to love. And if I'm fighting and arguing, I'm not winning souls. I'm creating walls. Why not just let them have a victory now and then just so that we can do the bigger purpose. Paul says, I, to all people I've become all things so that I might by all means win some. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win souls, which means I've got to do a whole lot of yielding sometimes. All right, then it says, it's full of mercy and good fruits, which means literally compassionate and willing to help. A couple weeks ago, we talked about that funeral that Christ was at. Bystander, just standing on the street as his funeral procession is walking down the road. And he discerns that that body in that casket being lifted on those men's shoulders was the only son of this woman walking in front of that casket, this widow. And what did it say? His, his, his bowels wrenched within him. It said he was moved with compassion. His guts ached. And he stops the parade. And he walked up to the casket because of a broken heart and rose that child from the dead. See, when Christ felt something, it caused him to move into an action. And James is saying that this, this wisdom from God is something that causes our hearts to move and makes us do something about it. That's, that's the sign, church, that we're going to be different, that we're following a different wisdom. When our hearts move, it, it should be followed by an action, full of mercy and good fruits. And then he says, without partiality and without hypocrisy. In other words, this love of God that you have is supposed to be given to everybody. You don't get to pick and choose who you love and who you don't. We're called to love everyone. Love our neighbor as ourself. That's, that's the fruit of this wisdom. And even the most casual Bible reader can see those attributes all throughout all the pages of this book. I mean, all you got to do is read the Bible to understand that it wants us to be these things. It wants us to live this way. Look at Galatians 5. You know this verse. 
Galatians 5, 22 to 25, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. And those who, have, who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So Paul's saying in Galatians, he says, look, if you have these attributes working in your life, he says, you're going to fulfill the law automatically. It's going to be a part of just how you live. And if you belong to God, you're going to crucify, you're going to kill off those things that are of the old you. And you're going to begin to live for God. He says, if you have the Spirit of God, then walk in the Spirit of God. Let that be the thing that changes you. Which makes all this very simple. True wisdom is found in our ability to follow and apply the Word of God to our life. This is why we teach the Bible here at church. This is why Wednesday nights we go through verse by verse, word by word. This is why every Sunday morning we just take you verse by verse, walk you through to, want you to show you what this Bible says because this is what's going to save you. Not the pastor's words. Not the clever little acronyms they come up with. Not the points of the sermon. The Word of God is going to be the thing that changes you. And when you let this thing come into your life and begin to change you verse by verse, letter by letter, word by word, and apply these things to your life, it's going to change who you are. It's going to change how you walk this world. And he says, if you live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. So how do you get this wisdom? Let me close with this. James chapter 1, verse 5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. He says, if God, if you ask God, he's going to give you all you need, and he's not going to hold back. Ask, he says, and it will be given to him. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give you all the wisdom you need. That's what Solomon did. That's, that's what we need to do. We, we have this natural wisdom within us. It's not godly. Paul calls it, we have to crucify the flesh. And we have to ask God for wisdom. When there's a debate going on between you and those that disagree with you, before you engage in the debate, ask God, God, what do you want me to say and do here? How do you want me to handle this? I promise you that God will give you a different approach than what you were just about to do by yourself. He'll take you down a path that, 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 that will lead them and keep them on the line for God. He will not shut the door to their salvation. He will give you the wisdom and the words to be able to love them into the kingdom of God. That's what he'll do. And church, if we're walking the way of wisdom, we're going to be following after and seeking after God's will in every part of it. You get it? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, your word is amazing. And God, everything you do, everything you show us is, is a path to wisdom. And Lord, there's so many times in my own life, I confess, Father, that I think I have the answer. And I have a better way, but God, your way is the answer. Your way is the better way. 
And so, Lord, we just we yield it to you. We, we, we let, want you to win. We want you to control. And so give us the wisdom to know that you have the wisdom. Show us the path of understanding in your word. Let your word be applied to our lives so that we can walk as men and women of God, trusting after the way of truth. And Lord, for those that are in our lives that may be in opposition to your word, God, show us how to love them in such a way that they can't deny the love of God. Give us that point of reconciliation and honor. And Lord, we'll praise you and we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.